This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you so much for joining us. A big show coming up. I'm going to speak to Stephen Grove, one of the uh, primary owners of Grove Kelly Racing, or Kelly Grove Racing, I should say. After their great win on the weekend with Andre Heimgartner, Stephen Grove's been involved in uh, motor racing for a long, long time, especially through Porsche Carrera Cup and the like. So, uh, Crowsey to catch up with him shortly. Also, we'll have a chat to Cameron Hill, who was uh, the winner of the Porsche Carrera Cup round at Tail and Bend this weekend as well. It was a big weekend of supercars. We'll wrap all that up with Mark Walker, myself, and Richard Crowell a little bit later on the show. But let's have a look at the news. And this weekend's OTR Super Sprint at the Bend saw three different winners across the three races. First up was Andre Heimgartner on Saturday, who beat Chaz Mostert to first place by four seconds, which was extremely impressive considering... He received a five-second penalty. Then on Sunday, Anton De Pasquale and Cam Waters won races 10 and 11, respectively, for the season, while Will Davison and Shane Van Gisbergen came in second across the two races as well. The weekend's action also marked a major milestone for Mark Winterbottom. Now, we, you know in supercars we all love a stat. So do, are you aware that you're the first driver in Australian touring car history to have competed in 500 races consecutively? Yeah, well, that's um, not a stat I knew. I wish you said I won 500 races straight, but, um, yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's obviously uh, to be in the sport for a long time and um, have guys like Charlie still like you enough to employ you is a, a good thing. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, keep finishing, keep getting starts and um, try and get results. News coming across the weekend, the Cali Grove Racing have shelved a plan to run a wildcard supercar entry later this year. The Ford squad currently building a new Mustang for Andre Heimgartner, which will debut later in the year. The extra set of wheels prompted the team to consider a wildcard program for later in the season, which was likely to be a third entry at the Bathurst 1000. In addition to Heimgartner and Dave Reynolds, the team have since shelved this plan to focus on their two primary entries. It's been tipped that Supercar's end-of-season gala is set to return in December after a one-year hiatus. The black tie event the best performances for the best performances across the season, including the Drivers' Championship, Team Championship, amongst others. There was debate surrounding whether it would go ahead this year. However, it looks set to take place on the Gold Coast at the conclusion of the 12th and final round of the season. To Formula One news, and Lewis Hamilton has pulled off a brilliant Spanish Grand Prix win after overcoming more than 20 seconds deficit to beat Max Verstappen to cruise to an almost 16-second win. Rounding out the podium was teammate Valtieri Bottas, a further 11 seconds behind Verstappen. The Red Bull driver reflecting on a good start and said he felt like a sitting duck at the end of the race. Yeah, start was good, the, the initial uh, launch, and then yeah, I got Lewis into turn one, um, and from there on I just tried to you know manage my tyres on that first stint, but still... Uh, yeah, it seemed like we just had a bit worse degradation compared to them, so we pitted, and uh, yeah, it was a bit, of, a bit of a miscommunication in the pit stop. Uh, I thought I had to pit that lap, but clearly it wasn't that lap, but luckily the mechanics were still very quick to react with the tyres. Um, yeah, and then from there onwards on the mediums, uh, they clearly had more, more pace. I mean, you can push a bit harder on these tyres uh, compared to the soft, and uh, you could stay within one second, 1.2 seconds all the time. 
And uh, yeah, basically then of course they had a free stop behind and they took it. And then uh, yeah, from there onwards I was just a sitting duck to the end. Mercedes took a surprise strategy which paid off by bringing Hamilton in for a second pit stop before he then hunted down the race leader at a rate of nearly two seconds a lap. Hamilton hailed the team's decision as a good gamble. Hamilton also reached an impressive milestone over the weekend, becoming the first world championship driver to claim 100 pole positions. Hamilton now sits on 94 points in the championship, 14 points clear of Verstappen, and is comfortably clear of third place Bottas, who is on 47 points. Doubts are rising over the viability of the Turkish Grand Prix following the country being added to the United Kingdom's red list. According to the World Health Organization, there has been nearly 5 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Turkey since January the 3rd, with over 42,000 deaths. A Formula One spokesman said, We're aware of the announcement made by the UK government regarding travel restrictions for Turkey and are assessing the situation and will provide more details in the coming day. The Turkish Grand Prix is planned for June the 11th, the week after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which was, a response, which was a response to the sport not being able to travel to Canada. One suggestion to try and push forward with the Turkish Grand Prix is to switch the dates with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And Formula One has released much improved financial numbers for the first quarter of 2021, showing a good recovery from the effect of COVID on the sport. The pandemic meant that last year's first quarter generated only $39 million in total revenue. This year, though, that skyrocketed up to $180 million. MotoGP title contender Fabio Quadrero has undergone surgery after an arm pump issue cost him massively in Jerez. At the Spanish Grand Prix, the Frenchman was leading and on the track for his third successive victory before the issue resulted in him failing to 13th by the end of the race. The surgery was successful and he says he's feeling fine. Jack Miller, following winning the Spanish Grand Prix, looks likely to earn himself a new contract with Ducati based on comments from sporting director Paolo Ciabatti. Miller has been contracted uh, to a contracted Ducati driver for several years after spending three years with Parmac Racing and earning his call-up to the factory team this season. That's pretty much all the news you need to know. Let me hand it over to Richard Crail now, who has got a couple of great interviews for us. Crailsy! This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Well, it was a massive weekend at the OTR Super Sprint at the Bend Motorsport Park and an amazing story on Saturday with a first-time supercars race winner with a great backstory to go with it but the team owner got a first win as well and he joins us on the line Stephen Grove from Kelly Grove Racing joins us welcome to the show mate and congratulations yeah appreciate it thanks for having me on um what a day what what's your feeling now as you look back at that amazing Saturday where you got a pole position you led almost the whole way and a first up win for Kelly Grove Racing with Andre Heimgartner yeah, listen, it goes back to when we first started at the start of the year and you're starting to put you know, new pieces on the car and you're starting to work through the car and sometimes that doesn't flow as quick. So the weather was really good to us in the sense that Andre is pretty good in the wet and the setup really suited the bend and the wet. Um, so for to get our first pole was pretty exciting. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty daunting really there for the <laughs> that, that last minute where you, you know, we had it for a while. So that was really exciting. It was really good for, for Andre. And then to convert that into a win and... And to have a real win, you know, a win that, that was really on merit, uh, he had great pace, uh, was was really good for the team. A real morale booster for us. There was clearly potential within the squad 
when you got involved at the start of the year because they had some great results last year in that shortened season, but it was a bit hit or miss. Uh, did you expect a result like that to come so early into your tenure within the ownership of the team? No, definitely not. I mean, we knew we had to work hard for us. It's more about the team's championship because it gets us up the grid. So we always were planning for 2022. Um, you know, we're at the back of the, 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 the pit lane and that you lose a bit of time. Um, you know, it hurts you a bit sometimes under safety car and pit stops. And so for, as a team, our goal this year was just to try and get a couple more spots up the grid and try and get ready for 2022. But we've been working really hard to develop the car. We're in the process of building a new car. Um, so uh, Andre should, which Andre will get, and he should roll out maybe Sydney, we're thinking at the moment. Um, so we're still developing and investing and trying to get that right. So, um, But the result was a bit earlier than, than we, we really thought. What do you think yourself and your son Brenton have bought into that organisation since coming in? It's only been four rounds, but it does feel like a, a different race team with the fullest of respect to the Kellys who have who've done such a good job for so long. But what do you feel like you guys have contributed to this squad in, in a short space of time? Yeah, supercars teams really split across three things. There's the commercial side, getting the commercial side, getting the infrastructure right. Then there's the day-to-day performance and, and trying to get everybody to, you know, pit stops. I mean, you can you can spend an enormous amount of money to try and get a couple of tens, but if you can get your pit stops quicker for and you pick up a second. And then there's the development of the cars and motors and gearboxes and, and, and all the stuff that we want to really, or mainly suspension. So we've split it now. So Todd really spends, he spends an enormous amount of time on the dyno. He's, he's making new bits and away he goes. Brenton's very, very good, very hands-on. He's doing the operational stuff, the team performance, debriefing, working with the drivers. I mean, the interesting part is on uh, on the weekend was the first top, first weekend that Brenton actually was driver coaching Andre. So it was a pretty good, pretty good start for him. So, you know, Brenton's got enormous experience in, in racing, but more so from the technical side. So they he would sit with Andre after each session and work with him. And he works with the, the, the pit crew and, and that. And then I look after the commercial side, working with our sponsors and, and making sure we've got the right infrastructure and the right financial resources. So that's why it's worked so well, because we're split into three really different areas. And it's a pretty good base, isn't it? I mean, the, the factory down in Brayside is incredible. It's one of the best in the sport. Um, you've got Penwright and Ned Whiskey, who, who from the outside look like two really engaged sponsors. We met the guys from Ned at the Adelaide 500 last year, and they had enormous plans about how they were going to activate their sponsorship throughout the year. But obviously COVID struck and we couldn't do events and couldn't go drinking whiskey with those guys. But um, it looks like the, the platform that you've got involved in is really, really solid. Yeah, I mean, it was really important for us. Ned's an Australian company. I mean, wow, we've got an Australian whiskey uh, finally in this country. So, uh, you know, they're doing a, an outstanding job. Penrod's a family-owned business that's been around, you know, 100 years. Of the, you know, they're heading, to world te- heading towards 100 years, nearly 100 years. Um, it's grown on our soil here, made on our soil here. And then you've got, obviously got the Kellys and Groves, the two other family businesses. So that demographic of, of our su- supporters really fits, you know, our sponsorship. Uh, what's the what's the long term future? Do you feel for the team? I mean, is it just a gradual building process, or are you throwing the kitchen sink at it? What's the approach for the next six months, and then moving moving forward? Well, we're certainly planning long term. The, the investment for us is long term. There's no question it's long term, but we need to continually move up the grid. We really want to win championships. We want to, we want to win teams championship, drivers championships. But that takes nothing away from what everybody else is doing in pit lane. You know, it's a very, very competitive, one of the, I think, most competitive series in the world. So our long-term goal is to do that. I mean, we're certainly there to try and win 
a championship uh, or two. Um, but that's going to take time. You know, 2022 will continue to build. You know, our goals would really be 23, 24 mm-hmm. to really make sure that we're, we're in a place to really do a good job. Well, I've had the good fortune of calling your racing since you started in Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge, mate, a decade ago. Um, was supercars ever on the horizon for you? Was it part of the plan of your motor racing journey to get involved in a supercar team? No, that really only came a couple of years ago where we sort of looked at, you know, we have an enormous, as a family, passion for motorsport. And, and, you know, I had some discussions with Brent, but maybe that was the next step for us. We wanted to keep racing. Brenton was pretty clear, didn't want to make a career out of uh, being a driver. He he wanted to be more in the, you know, in the ownership or, or managing a team. So we sort of said to him, I sort of said, well, let's have a look at opportunities for 2022. And then the opportunity with with uh, the Kellys come up and it was a great fit. So we, we decided to go down that road. So we're pretty engaged now. I've, I've been learning really quickly you know, about how the process is, but it takes up a lot of our time. But we're very engaged and we're very, very committed to, to trying to win. There's no question about that. And do you keep the supercar side and your Carrera Cup and GT program separate or is there a plan to bring them all under the same roof? Currently, they're separate. We still run our GT and, and our career are separate. Um, my view is, um, as we move to the car of the future, uh, a car will will be more, I think, um, getting drivers more from, from uh, Porsche, would, you know, from Carrera Cup, young kids coming through, as well as Super 2, but there's a real opportunity there. The cars will move around a bit more uh, under Gen 3. Um, the racing will be greater. So, we're just sort of trying to work out now, do we, we really want to, a key ingredient for me is developing drivers. That's, that's something that's a real passion of mine. So whether we start to run a more, you know, a two car team in, in career cup and maybe try and bring people, you know, kids through there, whether we do super two, but we really want to try and get kids to come through um, so we can develop them through the motorsport journey and then, and then into supercars. Uh, it's worth, uh, you mentioned Gen 3, Stephen, it's worth talking about the fact that you've come out of your, your first big Gen 3 meeting yesterday. Um, I know you probably can't give away too many secrets, but what's the vibe and, and how's that process going for you, especially coming in as a new team owner to that element of the sport? Yeah, listen, Gen 3 is good. I mean, listen, it's, uh, we, had, we did have a meeting yesterday. Um, everything's on track. Everyone's pretty aligned with where we're going and, and, and 2022 is, is where we're all out. Uh, a new car, but the exciting part is, you know, you've got the Camaro, the big Camaro. It's a, you know, it's it's a, it's a great looking car, but and you got the Mustang that's nice and sleek. So I'm super excited to get those two cars on the track and, and really start uh, racing. So yeah, everything was good. Everything's in, in a good in a good spot. Do you feel like you're bringing fresh eyes to the paddock, uh, a new approach, both from a business and a sporting point of view? Yeah, it's a, a fraction unique on our side. I mean, I think back and. You know, Andre, for example, was my teammate uh, in 2013 in Career Cup. I mean, we, we studied data together. I used to obviously grab his data or pinch his data all the time and look at it. And, and we've sort of evolved from there, but we, we hopefully bring some business skills to the table. We certainly bring some motor racing skills to the table and we understand the process and how it works. I understand from a driver how hard it is to win. Motorsport has more downs than ups. It's just the way you can't win every race. You can't win every session. And we're all very competitive in nature. So I think it gives me a better insight to work with the drivers and talk to the drivers and and understand that. But also to understand the commercial side, it needs to be commercial. I mean, if it's not commercial, it doesn't work long term. Mm. Um, GT program. 
How's that going? Solid weekend for you guys? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge step from, not, not in the ability to drive or speed, it's just a huge step in the way you drive a car. A cup car has mechanical grip and you hustle it, really. You hustle it around, you hustle it over curbs and, and, and you really got to hustle the car to get really high speed. In a GT car, you got to be smooth. you got to carry speed. You've got to trust the aero. Um, I think the difference in braking, for example, on a GT car is about 1,200 PSI. I mean, you, you really – and you still – there's still more there. I just can't brake much past that. Mm. Uh, in, a, in a cup car, 800 PSI is it. Yep. So, you, you know, going from one to the other creates some issues, just trying to make sure you, you, you brake. But the arrow I found at the bend, I mean, the bend is such an awesome, awesome uh, racetrack and it's, it's designed for fast, free-flowing uh, commitment. If you make commitment, you're quick there. So – we, we were quite happy. We had a few issues with strategy from wet to dry tyres. But outside of that, the car, the Porsche is really good there. It does use its tyres a lot there, but it's a great car. And uh, I can't wait to go back there for the three hour because um, it's it's such a good event. Yeah, it suits itself to GT racing. Uh, and more Bathurst 12 hours on the cards for you guys. You're the most successful team in the history of that race when it comes to victories. You've got five class wins on the mountain. So a return to Bathurst on the cards at some point. Yeah, definitely going back for the for the twelve hour. Uh, I've been in discussion with Benny Barker. He's still, uh, you know, we've had such a long association, um, and he'll come back and race with Brenton and I again, and and we'll push on. But yeah, we're we're certainly building towards that. That's that's you know the my, my favourite race in, in the world. Do you, do you get Dave and Andre just sort of giving you a bit of a nudge, going, "Hey, can we have a steer of the GT three R, please?" Yeah, well, it was interesting. I mean, the, the, you know, Ben had sort of thought that maybe Dave would or Andre would come and race with us because of the connection, but we're very committed to, you know, uh, he's such a great kid, Benny Barker, yeah. and, and I've already confirmed with him that, no, he'll be racing with us and we'll bring him over and, and away we go. I mean, I think he's done four or five of them now with us, maybe yeah. six, yep. somewhere in that order. You know, he's, he's done a lot of racing with us. He's, a, he's super quick and he's just a great kid. Uh, last one, expectations for the rest of the year and from a supercars point of view with your team owner hat on, uh, what do you want to get out of the next six or seven rounds and where do you see yourself ending this year? Well, I think for us, I mean, one of the things I look at, I mean, I certainly keep an eye on the driver's points, but I'm always looking at the team points to see if we can get some spots. So, you know, if we can get around that six mark, uh, you know, in the team's championship, that would suit us and move us up the grid. That would be a great expectation. Uh, the other big issue for us was just to get belief in the team, you know, try to get everybody, all, all of the people that help us win from the people in the workshop to the people that travel with us and, and try and get them to understand that we can win. You know, we, 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 we definitely can win and we proved that on the weekend. So we've jumped that hurdle and it's now just about building the team, building confidence uh, and getting that real we can win attitude. Mate, that's brilliant. It's so good to see. Congratulations on the weekend and all the ongoing success, both in the Super Cup Paddock and the GT Land and in Carrera Cup, where you won the opening round of the Pro-Am Championship. So some work to do there this year as well. Um, thank you for your time. Know you're a busy man. Appreciate it. Uh, look forward to catching up at the next one. Anytime. Take care. Stephen Grove joining us on The Grid. Round two of Porsche Painted Dixon Carrera Cup Australia Championship was run at the Band Motorsport Park at the weekend. It was an incredible weekend of racing. It had the highs and it had the lows, and we'll attack them both with the man who not only won the round, but has won three straight and has a 116-point lead in the championship as well. His name is Cameron Hill, and he is in great form. Cameron, welcome to the show. Hey, Krause. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, mate. Uh, congratulations. Hell of a weekend for you in South Australia. Yeah, I know. Um, 
it was a great weekend for us. Um, you know, on Saturday we got a bit lucky. It was, you know, really sad to see so many cars get torn up in, in that first race. But, you know, on Sunday we, we had a good car and we came under a lot of pressure. So um, it was really cool to get both wins. Just walk me through the Saturday before race one, which was held in wet conditions. You had a wet qualifying session as well. So you needed to navigate that. Just just walk me through those conditions and especially driving that place on the wet Michelin. Yeah, so heading into qualifying, obviously, was my first laps at Taylor Bend in the wet. So, you know, you're never quite sure what to expect, but um, was pleasantly surprised, actually. The, the track had a lot of grip in the rain and, and obviously the Michelin wet was really great. Um, and so just sort of built, you know, built my confidence up and, you know, Dian, my engineer, he was giving me information as the session went on at one point I was P1 then P2 and I'm sort of thinking well uh, th- that's pretty good you know I- I've probably got a bit up my sleeve but he did also say don't throw it off before I went out so <laughs> to be P3 I was pretty happy um, although you know Matt's lap to be seven tenths up the road you know that was that was a pretty good lap mm. yeah uh, who would have thought young Kiwis being fast in the rain would ever be a thing, I know right? how about it <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, and then and then race one uh, it's been well replayed lots of drama six or seven cars involved in a, a pretty heavy start line crash. You were clear of that. Did you have an indication of what was unfolding behind of you? Yeah. So um, obviously wet, um, wet start. I was on the inside line, which is the non-preferred line in, in the rain. And, you know, I just had a terrible start, but apparently everyone got bad starts because I was sort of like, oh, okay, I haven't really lost any ground here. And, I was just sort of checking the mirror, holding my line to sort of see what was going on. And all I could see was two cars facing the complete wrong direction behind me. And I thought, oh, that's just not going to not going to end well at all. So, um, yeah, really sad to see all those cars get torn up on, on the first lap and then on the restart as well. Um, so not much racing, which is not what we want. You were very, uh, what's the word, circumspect perhaps at the end of that race, I, I think in, in not celebrating too much after what was a really a really challenging affair. But, it, I mean, it set your weekend up, didn't it? You were competitive, you were fast, you were quick through practice, so you were at the front of the field regardless. But it, it just sort of it set your weekend up, that opportunity to clear the drama and race at the front of the field, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, the old saying is you make your luck and, you know, we did have a good car. We qualified third. Um, and, and even in the rain, I, I sort of felt like I had a really good car underneath me. So, you know, yeah, we, we, we sort of lucked into that, that P1 position for Sunday, but um, you know, that's what you need in, in this championship. You know, you need to be fast and you need that little, you know, things to go your way. Um, and Cause you can just see that, there's, there's 10 guys there that, that can all win the win the race on their day. And, and if you're at the other end of it, it's really hard to get through. Yeah. What was your, your take on the contact with Cooper Murray and Matt Payne? And what did you see of that up there at Turn 1? Well, it was very hard to see. I'll, I'll say that. I was um, fourth in queue on the restart and I was sitting in Aaron's, Aaron's toe and just copying a whole heap of spray. And I thought, okay, we've got um three guys in front there they all want to you know make something of it and so i thought i'm just going to hang to the outside and aaron was trying to put the move on um matthew and i i couldn't see who moved on who but all i saw was the sort of wheel to wheel contact and um straight away that sort of set 
Matt's car sideways and then reading it, I'm going, oh, Cooper's looking really not good here. And, um, yeah, sort of, yeah, couldn't couldn't believe my luck a little bit, but, um, yeah, just had to get on with it too. Yeah, absolutely, and the, the seas parted. So let's move to Sunday then. Uh, 20-lap Enduro Cup race, one of the more intense Carrera Cup races we've had for a while, and that's saying something because we get plenty of them. Um, 41 minutes and 40-odd seconds of you battling Harry Jones. Uh, what was it like from the driver's seat? Yeah, it was really hard work. Um, it was probably about five or six laps in and um, we probably, you know, got our tire pressures, you know, a little bit wrong. And I thought, oh, no, I'm, I'm in for a long race here. And and credit to Harry, he, you know, he kept me honest the whole way um, and he didn't put a foot wrong. And I just knew it was really important to yeah, not make any mistakes to sort of let the door open. And um, a couple of restarts, first restart sort of worked to my advantage because I could sort of cool my tires down and I actually got a really good jump, hmm. um, which sort of took the pressure off for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a little bit angry. I was sort of shouting on the radio. I'm like, why is the safety car going 40 kilometers per hour? And I keep speed up. I don't want to restart <laughs> this second restart. Um, so yeah, that second restart, Harry was a little bit, um, sharper and, um, I had to, had to cover into one, um, but you know, credit, you know, credit to him. We, we went side by side twice in that race at the beginning end on the final restart and, you know, we left each other racing room and, um, yeah, it was really cool to hang on to it and grab the win. But yeah, I was definitely feeling it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it, it was such an intense motor race but you've got a bit of a knack of these longer distance races mate because you won the race at the grand prix uh back in 2020 the last race we had that year and then you won the long race at Sandown, and you've won this one so from an enduro cup standpoint you guys have got it right and it was interesting i had a chat with your team manager after that race and he said you know what two or three years ago we would have just been having a massive swing at tire pressures and car setup and things like that but now as a team, we're experienced enough that we can actually go in making really smart decisions. And, and I think that's showing mate in the way that you and your team are performing, especially in those longer races, which is so hard to win when you've got time management and such a competitive field to look after. Yeah. I think it's a combination of, you know, a million things. Um, it's been one hell of a journey from, you know, where, where we started as a team back in 2018, um, you know, not really knowing a lot, but, you know, through that, you sort of, you try everything and, and you actually get to really have a, a great deep understanding of the car and, and how to drive and how to get the most out of it. So, you know, I'm heading into the, to every race meeting this year, knowing that, you know, we've got a package that can win and, and, and even if it doesn't roll out of the truck, you know, super fast, you know, we, we've got the tools to sort of, um, you know, to tune it up and, and get it in the, in the window again. So, um, and, and yeah, I mean, as far as driving it goes, you know, I, um, you know, I love the challenge and, and especially when, when the competition is so close, you know, I sort of thrive on that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's starting to, to take shape this season and, you know, hopefully we can continue to keep producing strong results. It, it was, uh, circumstances that meant you couldn't just take a, a, a bundle of cash and go and run with a Sonic or a McElroy or, or whoever that, sort of push you down the direction of running your own car and now you're the little single car team taking it up to sonic who had four cars on the weekend and mcelroy have got four pro cars and wall racing who've got david wall and craig Lowndes for crying out loud so is there an added element of satisfaction from you that your little race team that you've built and your family's built 
are taking on these teams that have won Carrera Cup championships for 20 years? Yeah, you know, we're, we're super proud of, of what we've done. Um, but, you know, we, we never thought we couldn't do it. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe there was a couple of times you sort of going, oh, gee, are we, you know, are we doing the right thing? Um, but, yeah, I, I sort of, you know, look back and, and sort of go, wow, you know, what we've, what we've achieved is, is really cool, you know, because um, the McElroy's and, and Sonics, they, they, they're really, really good teams. And, you know, they, they roll out, you know, really organized they've got good drivers good engineers um and and they're fast they're hard to beat so you know now that we're you know i like to think we're definitely on a level playing field and mm. in terms of you know when when we rock up you know we're there to win and you know they they've got the stopwatch on us and you know they're looking at what we're doing so um yeah we've we've come a long way and um yeah we can, well, we're really proud of that You've got your own driving career to worry about, of course, but do you expand and, and with in mind that you've got a couple of Formula Fords to look after, you've had some Toyota 86s and things like that as well that your team has run very successfully. Do you look at expanding Cameron Hill Racing into more Carrera Cup cars? Do you become a multi-car team where you've got a, a teammate or a young drivers you bring through? What's the, the long-term plan? I think never rule, never rule it out. Um, you know, we sort of made the decision a year or two ago, you know, while we were still learning and developing not to try overstretch ourselves uh, and the team, you know, really try to, you know, focus on doing a good job first. Um, and, you know, the Formula Ford team, you know, we're having a lot of success with that. You know, Tom Sargent, he's currently leading the uh, Vic State Series and the National Series as well. And, and Noah Sands, who's a rookie, he's coming along really well. He had his first race win in his um, second second ever race meeting. So, um you know, there's definitely, I see a lot of scope for, for our team to, to grow because I sort of see that we've got all the, all the ingredients there to, you know, to have a lot of success in, in categories like Carrera Cup and, and Formula Ford. But I, I'm also just mindful, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to grow too quick and then, um, you know, you know, take on too much. But mm. I, I think in, in, you know, the next sort of one, two years, you know, we will be able to bring on another car, um, and you know, maybe, maybe that will be in Carrera cup when you never know. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts with, with your formula Ford connections. You're a champion of the category. It, it's so fundamental in so many young drivers, um, careers in this part of the world in projecting them up through the ranks. There's been some talk in the last couple of days, and I understand some meetings between motorsport Australia and some formula Ford stakeholders to try and get them back under the roof, I suppose. And, and, re-energize the category at a national level um what's your take on those discussions and and where would you like to see formula ford move in this country in terms of of being that place for young drivers to to go and race i think it's really positive that you know the, the conversations are, are taking place you know I, I think that you know for the for the benefit of you know young drivers here in australia and and the category formula ford it would be great if you know we can be back on, you know, good terms with Motorsport Australia and, and, you know, try get at some status with super license points. I think, you know, that's a really important thing for the category, but, um, you know, I, I think they're some of the best racing cars you can drive to, to learn the fundamentals and the basics. And, and the great thing is that there's a lot of technical freedom with them as well. So you, you learn how to set up a race car and, and it's funny, you know, um, you know, I, I, we thought when, when we won the national championship back in 2015, that, 
you know, we knew a lot about setting up race cars, but I can tell you now after doing a few years of Carrera cup, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coming back and we're, we're on test days and, you know, we're trying stuff that, you know, we, we never were looking at before. And, and, mm. you know, I think it shows because, you know, we've got some very fast cars in formula Ford at the moment. So, um, it's really cool. Um, I enjoy the cars. I, I, I jumped in one, I don't know, it was six months ago just to, to shake a car down. And I reckon I did 10 laps and went, Oh gee, that, that was really hard. I forgot <laughs> how hard it was to drive <laughs> yeah. these. Um, you know, H pattern, um, dog box and, you know, you, you really got to hustle them. So no, I think it's cool. And, and hopefully that, you know, from these discussions happening, we'll, we'll see the category continue to go from strength to strength. A bunch of stars in Carrera Cup this year have come from Formula Ford and the teams in it as well. Uh, I'll leave you with this one, Cameron. I'd like your thoughts on this. So a little bit of history for you on the weekend with your third straight Carrera Cup round victory. Um, in the history of the One Make Championship in Australia, not that many drivers uh, have won three consecutive rounds. So I'm going to read some names out for you. Jackson Evans, who we all know quite well. Nick Foster's the same. Uh, Jim Richards, reasonably decent name in the history of Australian motor racing. Alex Davison, former Porsche factory driver, uh, and arguably the greatest Porsche one mate racer of all time, Craig Baird. They are the only other drivers you are now in a group with to have won three consecutive rounds of the championship. Have you got your head around that little fact yet? Yeah. I think when you just sort of read out the names again, you sort of go, yeah, okay. That's, um, that's a pretty impressive list of names. You know, it doesn't feel right to have my name in there. But um, no, it's really cool um, to be to be among some you know some really good drivers there, and um, yeah, uh, hopefully we can we can keep up the the, the momentum here and, and see if we can get a fourth. Um, but you know we 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 know that uh, Townsville was a, a strong track for some of our rivals, so we'll just have to see how we go. It's an unbelievably competitive championship this year, mate. There are fifteen pro cars, and like you said, there's probably ten that can be realistically considered championship contenders. So you're right in the thick of it. You're leading by a, a big margin going into round three. Congratulations. Uh, awesome performance at the bend. It's a delight to watch and looking forward to the next round. Cameron Hill, thanks for joining us. Thank you. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Right, guests are done. Time for the panel and debrief the weekend that was at the OTR Super Sprint, the Bend Motorsport Park and the supercars and Everything going else uh, going on in the world. Joining me is Tony Shebecki. Hello, Shebekster. Oh, great to be on your program, Richard. Thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, now let's just get one thing straight. This was this was handballed, not uh, it, it certainly was. I appreciate your help. Thank you, mate, very much. No, no, oh, good welcome. to be on. Yeah, it's going to be a, what a great weekend of racing. It was a cracking weekend of racing, and Mark Walker spent it celebrating Mother's Day with the family. Hello, Mark Walker. I'm used to saying Shebexter, Crazy, but I'll, I'll have to reverse that this week. Sorry, Please. Your Highness. Uh, how about that? Ford Motor Company, one week needs parity. The next week have three different winners from three different teams. <laughs> Good old motorsport, hey? What a thing. So, so I took the liberty of going to the dictionary and looking up the word parity and what it actually means. And the definition of parity has been changed to I want my team to work bloody harder. <laughs> That's what I'm sure Cam Waters was saying a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about parity. He couldn't have been talking about the cars being different because I think we've seen this year that that's not really the case. Well, the thing was, the last two tracks before the bend were triple eight spec tracks. They're, they've always gone very well, Sandown and Simmons yeah. Plains. Next up, we've got Winton's, a track that they don't tend to go that well at. And it, Really, Winton can be anyone's game. You look at the list of winners there over the years. If you turn up there on your day and you have a good one, 
you can get a win. Moth, Slade, you look at these guys from left field that you'd never pick for the win. They're all in the conversation come Winton. So Rick Kelly got a win there a few years ago against some really tough competition. So we'll roll up there next time, and it's absolutely on for young and old. Mm. Yeah. Was it Lee Holdsworth who was driving the Nissan for that very first win? Oh, well, he was in the Mercedes. He was in the, the Mercedes. Sorry, Mercedes. Mercedes yeah. for the, yes, that's right. For their win. Yeah. Yeah. Another one. But it yeah. was a cracking weekend, wasn't it? And and that's that's three from the last three now at the Bend that's produced really compelling, great motor racing and shock horror since they gave them a tyre that, that works with the racetrack. But it was it was bloody good. The opening laps there are fairly intense, though, aren't they, boys? Like Ooh, in the, all the categories, old, not just supercars. The sheep station's fairly decent. The opening lap of a supercar race at that place. Jeez. So that first race, very good. That was mm. good. Good action there. There was a lot of swapping a position, and the wet weather really did mix it up. But then that Sunday morning race, it, it, that's going to be telling come the end of the year because Van Giers, he, he didn't necessarily have the best of weekends, but he just kept picking off the points. You know, mm. had a seventh, a third, and a second. But it was just solid points all the way. But then you had Chaz, you had Waters, who came out of that with Blotto, and even Reynolds had dramas. Percat was in strife. It took out so many good runners there that that's going to be telling come the end of the year. And you look at Anton having his DNF in the final race. That's his third DNF for the season. You can't get away with that. Even if he goes on a tear now, he's so far behind the eight ball. Yeah. It's going to be hard for him to make it up. 11 You're races in. Spot on. 11 races in. He's got three DNFs. Having, coming off the back of a second, a third, and then a first. So he was in decent touch and really, really building. It all built towards that win in race two yeah. on the weekend. But then the, the DNF is just utterly crippling. You're right yeah. about the Van Giz, though. But, uh, I mean, they will bang on about winning the round, which is irrelevant these days. But he did. He got the most points from the weekend. And that's how you win championships, funnily enough. So when he's not dominating every race and streaking away at the front of the field, he's accumulating the points. Uh, it, it seems to me a very Jamie Winkup approach of winning championships, how he used to do it. Yeah. Remarkable it's, stuff. But uh, Tail and Ben will be around that we go back to at the end of the year, I think as a nearly a line in the sand round for the championship. Uh, the, the championship could have been decided in this round that we just had. But then again, it was the round where DJR found their mojo. Mm. They yeah. had two fast cars for the first time and I can't remember how long. I mean, obviously, Fab's had his win there last year, but, you know, as an ongoing thing, DJR haven't looked this good in a long time and they won two there on Sunday morning with Will having to hold off Van Giz, who was coming on the better tyres at the end of the race. That, that was a really good drive and both of those guys are going very well and, and Willie's up there in the points too. Once again, just through consistency, getting it done. And he had a couple of podiums yeah. on the weekend. So that's that's a team on the rise. Who knows what they're capable of in the future? Well, it was we'll... nice to see the cameras of seven going into the garages, two of DJR, I think, probably for the first time this year. The good doctor had a step, had a pep in his step, and it was just all happening. Well, he, he first ran back in God knows how long and engineers the old one too. <laughs> <laughs> Take the credit. I did, I bumped into Ryan on Sunday night in the welcome center, he was checking out and um, yeah, I gave him a bit of grief for that because he deserved it, but um, you know, just rocks up and uh, the thing, the thing, the mothership goes and, uh, and back to the kind of form they had mid last year when yeah. Scotty was smoking everybody, but um, no, he was justifiably happy with their weekend. And you're right. I mean, could this be the go point for them? You know, three rounds in, well, four rounds in really um, of, of two new drivers getting up to speed and working with their engineers and 
is that the weekend where it all clicked? Do they do that at every round from now on in? It's entirely a possibility with the quality of that race team is. And remember, nothing's changed from last year. Just because Roger Pensy has gone and Scott McLaughlin's gone outside of that, it's the same group of people behind the scene. So it was inevitable that they get back to some kind of good form. The, the ominous thing is now that they've got two drivers doing the job very consistently, as Mark touched on. So I think that's a, an absolutely a big point. I mean, it's just the round where Cam Waters tees off. They finally figured out on mm. a, a tyre deck circuit to keep tyres under it. You know, they're coming from two tracks that aren't terribly uh, dependent on tyre wear and they roll up to the bend and they finally figure it out and, and Jagger win. Is it that enough to give them the confidence moving forward? Because that was a great battle with S- SVG in that last race and he managed to come out on top. Is this also the round that teams actually find out that if you try and do something different, it might actually work? For so long, we've seen teams just follow the same old format and go in when other cars go in and do what they have to do. But all credit to BJR, they were shocking in qualifying for that first race, but keeping Percat out for such a long period of time and getting him into a position, even Hazelwood, I suppose, to an extent was there, yeah. dropped off. It, but strategy, it was just good that they played a strategy game. Yeah, but it, it wasn't because they wanted to do something different. It was because they had to do something different because they were yep. so average in qualifying with that miscue, whatever it was that went wrong with the team that they had, they qualified last, second last, third last and fourth last. So they had to do something drastic. But but the fact that they could engineer that around Mark and get Nick into the top five and, and not far off a podium, that was enormous. That was a huge, huge performance from that team, which has had an absolute shocker of a year. But through all of that, Nick Perkett's popped up in the top 10 in the championship again, mm. which is pretty remarkable stuff given how many times, for example, BJR's popped up in the race talk, not section of the power rankings. But the thing on the weekend, because there's such a low probability of a safety car, you don't have to protect against that early safety car or a safety car at all. So you can run right until the end of the race like mm. they did with Perkett on Saturday afternoon without that percentage of chance of there being a safety car, you can really race against that. And they use that to their advantage. Is there a reason why we can't have wild cars, uh, wild cards, every race running? Well, cash. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, it is really. Cause Tom Randall was fantastic. Yeah. They've and, got and, a... and added a level to it that. Yeah. I think they've Jackie got wasn't a... too bad either. The wild card. No, I, I thought Kurt did a pretty good job, actually. Yeah. Um, and and WIU as a whole were, were overly competitive across the board. And, and Bryce Fullwood had his best weekend of the season so far with a sixth in the second race, which was his best best weekend. And, and Kurt did a solid job. Thomas was outstanding. First, um, first wildcard to grab a top 10 finish since the wildcard sort of program happened. So really outstanding result for young Thomas. And it's inevitable that, one of the two wrecks that have come, the licenses that have come on the market for next year will go the way of Tickford and he'll be in one of them, probably with Castrol backing, which would be a great outcome for everybody. I think because we all want young Thomas in the championship. He's a super, super dude and yeah. a very, very good driver. Yeah. I, I like the wild card thing, but it, it's got to, um, it's got to add something to it. it it's got to be a, an addition to the field and not just a, um, just a random addition into the grid. Well, what about if we say then, if, what have we got, 10 teams in the championship? What about if we say that every team has to produce a wild card entry at least once? Oh, well, but it's a cash thing, Shebex. Like, you, you can't yeah, but that's, that's that's sharing the love. Yeah, that's but, not... but who's, who's paying for it? 
if your team can afford to do yeah. it, they get a sponsor or a driver. Great. But you know, if you're Matt Stone and you're operating on a pretty slim budget, you're not just going to go and roll another car out just for, just for fun. You, it, it needs to mean something. It needs yeah, to be Hopefully it doesn't matter next year. Cause we'll have the 26 cars on the yeah, grid. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, correct. Exactly. Having said that at no point in the last two years, have I gone, gee, I wish there were two more cars. So long as they're quality, they've got to be matter. quality. No, exactly, as long as and they're quality, you're right. Rand- Randall was a quality wild card, and yeah. Kostecki in a WAU car it was a, a pretty quality wild card. I don't mind it. Like I run some fairly serious insomnia, so I've been watching a few <laughs> of those old supercars rounds that they've put on YouTube lately, and there were so many field fillers. There were start and park entries back in the you know absolute prime time, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five. There were starting parks out there. That's mm. not adding to the show. People get all up and about, oh, there were 34 cars. How good was it? It was rubbish. They didn't add to the conversation. They crashed. They broke down. They they were useless. Now we've got 24, 26 quality cars. I think that's probably a better outcome for the sport. Yeah, you're probably right. And Ford getting their 400th win. Yep. Mighty fine effort. It was pointed out on Twitter that Holden did that some time ago. Yeah, they did, but um, Ford are the ones still in throwing money at the sport, so uh, they <laughs> they deserve to celebrate it, I think. Yeah, great result. They're, they're the only actively engaged manufacturer at the moment. Though it's worth noting, um, GM special vehicles were very, very present on the weekend. Um, they worked with the Ben Motorsport Park to put on um, the Holden uh, Parade on the weekend. There were more than 150 cars. Uh, travelled from the National Motor Museum in Birdwood to the track on Saturday, which was brilliant. And there was a parade that made the coverage. And then GMSV had their the Corvette first Corvette in Australia there. And uh, old CL got to go and rag that. Um, did you have a chat to him about it? I did. My understanding was he was told uh, just sort of 70 or 80% Craig. It was not 70 or 80%. Said he the narrator. doesn't know anything else. No, no yeah. it was uh, very, very good to watch. Uh, yeah, cool thing. Awesome looking race car, but there's some GMSV signage on the triple eight cars that's been popping around and changing this year. And on the weekend, it sported a Corvette logo. Uh, it's had Camaro in the past. So, uh, clearly some deals being done there in, in triple eight land with, uh, with the introduction of Camaro coming in, uh, at this point, 2022. Craig has no idea about 70 or 80%, has he? Was that also mentioned to him about a historic car at Bathurst a couple of years ago? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. 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 Hey, you mentioned that Gen 3 2022. That's been a lot of the chat, and Richie were there trackside on the weekend involved in a lot of that chat. For me, I don't care. I don't think it matters. Does it matter? What, if it happens or not? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, I, I think but it pe- matters. People are getting emotional, but they're they getting are. emotional about stick shift. They're getting emotional about this and that. Just, yeah, from it's a. It's not the end of the world. No, it's not. It's not. If the current formula ran for another year, I don't think it's the worst outcome. The only problem with that is that how long will Ford tolerate the current Mustang when there's the opportunity to have a sexy road car looking one in there? Um, and do you want another year of, of the Commodore running around when it, it, it sort of disappeared? Um, that's probably the main concern, but there, there's so many politics involved. It's not a nice place to be at the, at the moment, the supercar paddock. There's some great little elements in it. I bumped into the, the Kelly Grove guys after Andre's victory. And, and we've heard from Stephen Grove on the show. Uh, this, that's so cool. That's such a good story for the sport. Yeah. Um, and, and I think they can offer 
a different take on the Gen 3 argument because they're new to it with new ownership, with new eyes coming into an existing group of owners who have been bickering about the same stuff for decades in some respects. So, um, yeah, it's pretty tense. It's pretty tense. Supercars put the statement out on Tuesday saying um, they've had their meeting, they had their big powwow in Sydney today, and they're still on for a 2022 introduction, so they're working towards it. Um, and this is why I think it is important that it does come out because if it doesn't now, that they've thrown so many resources and they've thrown so much PR behind it, that it would be an absolute. It'd be a bad look. That I think that's probably the look. biggest thing of it all. From a sporting yeah. point of view, it wouldn't change a thing. No, exactly, I, mean, I totally agree with you, Mark. If these cars stay for another year, wouldn't have an issue. But, but from but, a look point of view, it would yeah. be bad for them. And be, but, and what's more, other categories have done such a good job at rolling out new machinery. Um, gen the new gen NASCAR rollout. Oh, that, that Mustang, that NASCAR Mustang. I don't mm. get too excited about looking at car photos, but that got me pretty happy. And and look, that was delayed a year, but that was delayed a year due to COVID, not because of operational dramas. Um, and Gen Three certainly isn't a isn't a COVID delay thing. If it doesn't make twenty twenty two, it's a it's an operational issue. Is the current Mustang that fugly still? Like oh, I don't. When, when you first care. store it, you just get used to it. Oh, yeah, I'm used one. to seeing it these days mm. on the racetrack. Like uh, it doesn't. That initial shock, that first uh, camouflage Mustang that they shot in the pit lane at QR, it looked out of proportion and just wrong. But it's been wobbling around racetracks now for a fair while, and you just get used to seeing it. It's mm. not. It doesn't strike you as being that ugly anymore. I suppose the thing is, is, is Ford, who, like we said, are the only brand tipping coin into the championship. I mean, they've got to have a say. Um, and, and how far down the road do you go of, of keeping your only manufacturer happy? That's probably the argument. That, and We're not getting I, a new manufacturer in next year, are we? It's, no, it's just not going to no, happen. No, no. It would have been. It, it would have been. It doesn't need meant- to happen. No, I don't it think it does either. It doesn't need to happen. You've got to get away from this whole manufacturing thing. Anyway, this is a, a topic that we could bash on about for a long time. Um, it was a great weekend, though, boys, um, being on the ground and the bend through the kitchen sink at that weekend. Um, event date certainly didn't work in their favour and the first wet day in Adelaide for a month, uh, a, a sold-out showdown at the Adelaide Oval and Mother's Day, but um, no excuses. Really good crowd over two days um, and positive vibes i think to move beyond the politics that are going on in south australia with the adelaide 500 and things like that to give supercars a permanent home out there at the bend and the show on track now is what it needs to be and they'll continue to build the off-track show to make it bigger and better but it actually felt like a major event for the first time i think in in five supercar rounds there it goes back to how racetracks used to operate back in the day Mm. that have the one big event of the year that they'd trade off for the rest of it but getting those people out there who are, might be seeing the facility for the first time, see what it's all about, see that there's a go-kart track over there, get a feel for all the different things that are going on. They'll come back now during the year yep. to the other events that are run. So uh, that's a good thing. You know, obviously it's not the Adelaide 500 and oh, some people bashed on about the bridge and all that. Oh, they're stealing the yeah. stuff. Oh, come Where on. Where else Give do you want motor racing infrastructure to go? <laughs> this is my argument is that you know you've got millions of dollars worth of perfectly good full specification safety and access motorsport gear sitting in a a, a builder's yard in north adelaide um gathering dust and rusting away that clearly the current government is not going to use so what do you want to do with it it may as well be used at a racetrack it's good for the sport if it's used at a racetrack and it is so I, I think full credit to 
to the bend for for getting the deal done. And but you know the bridge looked great. It's a visual reference that the track needs because she's still pretty flat and featureless out there. So um, it gave another visual reference for it. It was great for spectators. That new infield area was genuinely very very cool. I went for a walk there. Uh, during career cup practice on Friday and, and watch the cars through that 13, 14, 15, 16 complex. Really cool spectating. It's like Phillip Island. I really, really liked it. But racetracks are built around a lot of this recycling of stuff. You look at Bathurst, Morgan Park, they've pinched bridges from the Sydney Olympics. Yeah. When there are no, no need for them anymore. But then you look at Adelaide 500, if Labor get voted back into South Australia, supercars own a heap of infrastructure themselves yeah but don't need to start from scratch this nope. these all this stuff is still out there making new concrete walls isn't difficult it's an easy thing to do and quite often the old barriers from the racetracks do get recycled back out into the system they always are refreshing the walls and the facilities and the fences and stuff so the stuff that is at adelaide it wouldn't be the original it's definitely not the original stuff from 1985 but it would would barely be the original stuff from 1999. So having these things recycled around the place isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, the, the, the story about the infrastructure sell-off is a political story yeah. in, in Adelaide. It, it, it's a, a political talking point that the opposition and so they're, they're allowed to do this. And in some way it's actually good because it's kept motor racing in the press for six months, nonstop. Everyone's talking about car racing. That's great. We, we pull our hair out trying to get love in the advertiser or yeah. the, the Telegraph or the Herald Sun, but it pops up almost every day about this. And that's a good thing because it keeps it in the consciousness over here, which is great. Um, but yeah, you're right. There was a story in 2019 where the supercars team with IEDM who build the street circuits on their behalf, um, moved the entire Gold Coast pit building down to Newcastle to build the Newcastle track. Gold Coast event was late. October Newcastle event was late November, early December. So in four weeks, they moved that entire complex down and we were there having the supercar media awards in a building that was on the gold coast four weeks earlier. So yeah. there's no reason why any of that stuff couldn't pop over to South Australia and rebuild the Adelaide 500. It's, it's been going on for years. Yeah, Monica correct. Oval's got the MCG's old scoreboard. Yes. Yes. Well, Bathurst, the Bathurst bridges are from the Sydney Olympics. There you go. So, yeah, it's, um, although if you know where the Oran Park Bridge went, I'd like to find that. You were going to put that at Mallow, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I had plans for that. But it worked for <laughs> Queensland Raceway now. Right. <laughs> QR needs a bridge. Now Tony Quinn's going to take it over. That'd be brilliant. Uh, what else yeah. from the weekend you want to uh, discuss, boys, before we wrap, wrap things up? Well, not so much from the weekend, but we should mention and we should throw all our love and best wishes to a, a, a good mate of ours, Neil Crompton, uh, was announced on Tuesday that uh, he is suffering from prostate cancer. And in a battle with that, we know that John Bow has gone through exactly the same thing uh, over the last few months. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a sad one, isn't it? It is. Um and it's hard because Neil Crompton's the best. He's the, the best we've had in this country by a country mile. And, and you know, we've all known him and, and talked to him and, you know, worked in his circles at different times. And he's just a legend. Like, he's the only guy, I reckon, in that paddock that I get a bit, oh, a bit, bit fanboy about because it's Neil Crompton. And he, he's such a lovely man. He's got such awesome stories. He's... 
he's, he's just a great dude. And, and from a commentary perspective, I think the thing that I like is that when Neil Crompton's up on the rev limiter, it's because something is worthy of being up on the rev limiter about. Yeah. Yep. Like, remember Bathurst 2007? Mm. Like, watch the leader. Yeah. That was... That is the best bit of Bathurst commentary there has ever been. Um, that's my call. And what about the end of Bathurst 2014? Yeah. Like They're literally out on his feet. Out yeah. on his feet. I remember going to Bathurst Airport that night and he's pulled up next to me in the toilets and I've never seen a more ragged commentator. He was absolutely stuffed. How he flew his plane home that night, I have absolutely no idea, but he was absolutely belted. What so, I call it. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> she would have been flying in the dark that night. But, uh, you know, he puts his heart and soul into the sport. He loves it. And we love him and we wish him all the best. Yep. Not much more I can add to that. Well said. Yeah. Big, big shock. Big shock. As it was when JB announced yeah. his uh, a couple of genuine, like both Hall of Famers, legends of our game. So, uh, yeah, we're everything, everything behind Neil, the sport will get behind him. And uh, hopefully, like it was for Bow and has been for JB, that, the, the sport can be something of a tonic and yeah. um, you know, he said he's going to keep, keep punching on and going around if he can. So um, the sport's been very good for Bowie this year and keeping his mental approach right. Um, and you know what it's like boys, when you roll up at a racetrack, you, you take that deep breath of all the various, um, you know, tire fuel engine, warm up, old media yeah. center, whatever it might be. And you just go, yeah, this is awesome. This is what it's supposed to be. It makes all the hard work worthwhile. So hopefully for Neil, that can be the same thing. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, hey, we, uh, just very quickly to too, what we should mention about the, the weekend, and social media actually got me quite surprised, is that there was a fair bit of call about people wanting to scrap the, the, uh, the sprint format. People got That's short memories, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> Like, is this just look grass is greener on the other side again, or? But is because... it? I don't know. I, I didn't mind it. I, it didn't I, I, have any issues. I didn't have any issues with it. Yeah, three great I, races, three great, three different winners. What do you, what do you want? Yeah, I, I don't know what people. I don't know what fans want. Five hundred k's at the bend is fantastic, and it's a, a, a good track for it. But I just think that I have no issues with what they're running. I think it's about right. Um... You know, you look back over the years, it used to be three 20-minute races. What sort of value for money is that? It's none. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we're still running in this time where we're trying to save money. You know, we're trying to recoup our losses from last year because all the teams took an absolute pounding. Mm. And, and you know, we're limiting so many things to try and save some cash. And, you know, one of them is the biggest expense in this sport's people, paying for people. And, you know, they're going on about the cost of these Gen 3 cars. Oh, you know, they're expensive or whatnot. A three hundred fifty thousand dollar car versus seven hundred thousand dollar car. You sack six of your staff, and you it makes no difference. Yeah. Like that's going to be the thing that's going to be the the difference going forward. It doesn't matter if the race are a little and, bit longer or shorter. It, it's it's going to be the gutting of the industry of sacking all these people. Sorry, I'm I'm going off on a weird tangent here. I, I must have my head but, or something. But, but the the yeah. point you're making, like race teams will spend money, yeah, however they can spend it. Like Team Sydney has digital pit boarding out the back of their garage now i reckon there's a list of things that they could probably spend their money better on but but there you go like and and t8 has has it as well as digital pit signage and the, the pit walling and garages and things like that like you know if you can't spend your money on your race car you're going to spend it on other rubbish stuff so race if you've got budget people will spend it um yeah i, I just think 
you know, two years ago, everyone was going, oh, it'd be nice to see some shorter sprint races, wouldn't it? And now, now they're going, oh, gee, it'd be nice to see some longer races. I will. Yeah. Bathurst is coming. You'll get some. Townsville's coming. You'll, you'll have longer races there. So, you know. But those races on the weekend, like I had my family around the whole time and I'll manage to sneak out for an hour, sneaky hour here. Oh, where's Mark? Oh, he's, he must be on the loo or something for an hour watching a sprint race. It was <laughs> sounds, perfect. Sounds about right. Yeah, oh, exactly, exactly right. I, and I think, I think they're fine. And I think the TV ratings are proving that as well because, you know, Fo- Fox is up. Um, it's a small margin. So their average 135,000 uh, per race up from 133 at the same time last year. But the streaming option has doubled their audience uh, in the last 12 months. So even with many, many more people watching on streaming, the actual linear TV audience has gone up. So clearly it's rating well. Yeah. Um, and people are engaging with it, which is great. So yeah, I, I don't have a problem with this format. No need to rush any changes. Let's get through the year. I, I think, if anything, you keep this format, but you bring back your 250K race with a pit stop for fuel um, on the Gold Coast or Adelaide or Newcastle or wherever. Um, that That's probably what I would look at. So you, you spread your formats out a little bit more over the year. But for Sandown, for Simmons Plains, for the Bend, for Winton especially – Short, sharp sprint races. You get a bit of tire strategy. Give them a right, the right tire for the right track, which they finally were forced into last year, and it worked so well. And the product sells itself. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure what they're complaining about there. Neither am I. I'm done. Okay, good. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for commentating the Porsches on the weekend as well. That was oh a bit yes, wild. I Great really work. enjoyed it. Did you get that impression? Yeah. yeah, yeah Saturday yeah. was rubbish. Yeah. Don't get me oh, wrong. That was the worst Porsche race we've ever That yeah, was horrible. It wasn't brilliant. Oh, <laughs> they couldn't was... get down the straight twice. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't good. It wasn't great. Um, yeah, there was a little collective reset Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, and we delivered. Uh, was, there there a, was there a driver's briefing on Sunday morning? Yeah, it might have been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but look, didn't it deliver on Sunday though? The, that 20 lap race was just ridiculous, wasn't it? How yeah. good. It's just such a good product. No, no, thank I enjoyed commentating. Hey, and uh, the trucks weren't bad either. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, not terrible. Yeah. Not terrible. Um, pro- probably the, need... the best version of trucks that we've had for a long time, apart well, from the jumpy ones, obviously. But yeah, not not I'm looking forward to seeing them at Winton. I think a little yeah. short, sharp track there, they'll be quite good. Um, they had a few little teething dramas with the V8s, but certainly from a visual point of view, they look a million percent better. Sound good. Watching from the side of the road. Yeah, sliding uh, around, good. Little wheels are a bit strange, but oh, um, well, none of them did a turret in. Yeah, so well, I mean, that was a good start. Yeah, no one rolled, so that was but a big, big tick. It just give them more cars. I mean, that was the thing with the V8 Utes back in the day. They'd have thirty-two of them out there yeah. clattering into each other. Yeah. They just have a few more out there, fill the field, and oh, be a bit more natural action with those guys. It's basically a full reboot, though. Like they've they've gone control alt delete and what they had. So, um, and started from scratch. And I think uh, chatting to one of the guys out there, I think they've sold 18 engines. So, um, that sounds positive. So hopefully as the year goes on, they can get that. And to be fair, supercars need it. They need another strong support category. Um, as long as your S5000s and TCRs and TCMs are doing their own thing in the ARG world, they need a, you know, a really strong ute category to go along with your career cup, your Toyotas and super two slash three. Um, to build that undercut out, I think, for sure. And as we say goodbye, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one thing to remember. It is the month of May. Oh, yes. Yes. Should we we 
try and get young Scott on at some point. Well, we should try. At the very least, uh, I, I reckon we'll get young Hunter McElray, who's doing great things in USF 2000, uh, Indy Pro, sorry, this year, where he's right in the championship mix. Um, and he'll be racing at the Indy GP in the, the Road to Indy series. But I think we should just have a, have a crack at young Scotty. If we can't get Scotty, let's try and get Matt Brabham to talk about the lead-up to an Indy 500 race as a driver. Hey, Shebex, do you remember when we went to the Indy 500 and I watched do. Manny Brabham race? the 100th running. Yeah. And I remember, but but I remember what it was like for him. That, that was a hectic few did days. The, did the listeners want to hear this? Yeah, they do. Again? Yeah. Uh, all right, boys. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to On The Grid this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you get your favourite podcasts from. Uh, and we'll do this all again next week. Bye for now.